Welcome back to the program. We're going to begin with a prayer led by Father Lewis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good and gracious God, as we, your church, enter into these last days of ordinary time and prepare once again for the new liturgical year beginning with Advent, we are reminded in your sacred word that uh, the end times, are, they will be upon us, but always we face the end and the prospect of our own uh, our own. Um, our own uh, passing away, perhaps, our own time of meeting the Maker, but help us in all things with great faith and courage and fortitude to, uh, to know you and to respond to your will, however, however your will is presented to us. Help us to face uh, the end times with, uh, with great courage and for- faith. And we ask this in all your blessings through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Father Lewis. So, um, Father Lewis, you're going to be, uh, this is like very much an eschatological program. And what I mean is this, is that it comes upon you and uh, you better be ready because uh, I gave you a very detailed outline, didn't I? I did. There's nothing in front of me. There's nothing in front of you. I just said, Father, you don't know the day or the hour. And in this case, you don't know the questions. In fact, I don't know the questions. And so, um, Father uh, Lewis and I are going to have a conversation, a conversation about the four last things. What are the four last things, Father? They are uh, death, judgment, hell, and heaven. Yes. Why don't you put it in that order? I like to end on the positive. That's nice. (laughs) I like that. Because the traditional ordering is? Death, judgment, heaven, and hell. That's true. That's a good point. You don't want to end in hell. That's right. It's a very, very good way of saying it. Um, and it's interesting. Do you, did you in the seminary like have a course called eschatology, or was it part of a, a bigger course? Uh, yeah, we had a standalone course in eschatology, mm-hmm. and um, I thought it was a very good course. It was taught by, um, um, I think he was fairly new at CUA, a German theologian. Um, I can't think of his name right now. I hope he's still there. I thought it was a really good course, but um, yeah, yeah, it was like it was enlightening. Yeah. Well, good. I want to dive into that because um, I, I remember as well. Uh, I st- at the Greg, we had a course on eschatology, and it um, it was interesting because death, judgment, heaven, and hell. You also talk about purgatory, hmm. right? And so um, I'd like to like dive into those themes and just uh, I- I'm not asking you to recall only all the way back to the seminary, but things that jump out at you from um, your own like prayerful reflection, your lived experience, your own studies around the themes of death, judgment, heaven, and hell. Mm-hmm. Now, I've got some that I can use as a launching pad because you haven't had any time to think about this. <laughs> um, and so I, uh, I'm i going to I'm gonna start with judgment, if that's okay. Sure. Begin with judgment. Get them out of, yeah. Let's, Get them out of order. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, it's okay. We can begin with death if you want. No, that's all right. <laughs> Actually, let's start with death. Let's start okay. with death. Okay. So um, one of the most important things that... Um, you got to remember the call. You don't know when that call will come. I don't know if you guys heard the phone ring, but I did not mute my phone. And I have scam likely. So I'm not going to answer a call from scam likely. Um, but um, to use that that idea of a call, um, think about death. Like, how do you understand the reality of death? I've spent, and Carrie and I have spent um, some intentional time and made some like focused efforts on helping our kids see the reality of death. And um, can you imagine why do we do that? I think why we do that is related to the way that most people in this world think about death, which they, is what? They ignore it. They, they try to try to downsize it. And... Ignore it, downsize it, and they're afraid of it. Yeah. They're afraid of it. Like, that is a horrible thing. Don't think about it. Mm-hmm. And so all of a sudden, death becomes a threat, right? Death is a threat. And we talked about it last week, right? No, the so. idea of not being able to die is the biggest threat. Right. <laughs> Thanks be to God, we get to die. Mm-hmm. And so um, we would focus certain things on helping our kids learn how to see death. Um, now, as I'm saying that, I'm going to pause and say, is that something that you think about? Like for your people, as a spiritual father, helping to form in your people's minds the reality of death, how they see it, how they relate to it, what their approach towards it is. Is that something that you, you think about at all? Like, I, I think about, like, 
death is a door is just mm-hmm. as a for instance. Yeah. You know, death isn't a grave, it's a door. Yeah. But uh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, particularly as I'm uh, uh, helping um, family members of someone who's passed away to prepare for the funeral liturgy, and then at the funeral mass itself, the funeral liturgy itself, the prayers itself are very catechetical, where we're reminded, for example, in the first preface off uh, preface option for the funeral mass is there's a clause in there that says, uh, "With death, life is changed, not ended," and I. I frequently take that clause and, and work it into the funeral mass homily itself because that clause is a is a is a is a capture of of what fundamentally is our hope with regard to death that death doesn't get to have the final say and when we realize that then we like Saint Paul can actually laugh at death and kind of mock death where's your where's your victory where's your sting you know it's you're kind of toothless now because Christ has taken your 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 weapons from you, your savagery from you. It's still a sorrow, and it's still um, it's still uh, scary because I think really what's scary is not death itself, but what is on the other side of that door. It's the great unknown, and maybe for me- more fundamentally, we're just uh, afraid of the unknown. Yeah, I, I and I would if I used a word, it would be control. Mm-hmm. Right? One of the great illusions in this world is the ideal of control that I can be independent, and that if I'm only clever enough and work hard enough, I can control my reality. Yeah. And that is, it, it's, the thing is, this is, it's a tragic lie, because it's creating uh, a whole way of looking at life as if we're the source of it, right. as if somehow we're the meaning of it, mm-hmm. as if somehow we are the goal of it. To somehow maintain my precious thing called my own life, my own existence, mm-hmm. and um, there is—I I think that that is used to use that phrase from Saint Paul in First Corinthians: "Sting, right? Or death? Where is your victory? Where is your sting?" And um, it's one of those things where there is something in our fallen nature that proposes to our consciousness and manifests itself in our emotions that the sting that is associated with life is death. And so you should be afraid. You should not think about this because it stings Mm -hmm. to talk about death. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I like that, you know, going back to your idea of like, you know, the the fear of the unknown, but maybe the fear of the loss of control. And one of the kind of recent societal um, fallouts of that, I suppose, is the is the wider and ever growing secular embrace of euthanasia. That okay, you know, euthanasia is kind of saying, okay, we we now can you know accept the reality of death, uh, but I'm still going to have control even over that, and so I shall death as I want and when I want and by whom I want, and um, and that's just that's just calling the calling evil good and good evil, mm-hmm. and another way of doing that, and. And it's it's really just another grasping at, at at a control, and it's just the illusion of control. Yeah, uh, in fact, um, when I uh, so we talk about catechizing our kids, like how do you form in your kids a different consciousness, a Catholic Christian consciousness of death? Like I'll say to them, okay, kids, like what does the world say is the ideal death? Right? If I just said to you, growing up, like if you said to people, like how do you want to die? Right? Mm-hmm. You probably know the most common answer is going to be what. Well, for me, it would be, I think it's common. It would be sudden and unexpected and definitely painless. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Quick and painless yeah. in my sleep. Yeah, in my sleep. Right? It yeah. was just, oh, no, I just want to go to sleep. And not wake up. And then not wake up. Yeah. That's how I want to die. Quick and painless. Mm-hmm. And um, that's not the ideal for a Catholic Christian, right? right? So the, the two descriptors are not quick and painless. Do you know what the two traditional descriptors are of the kind of death? The first one's happy. Right, happy. a happy death and a holy death prepared. Prepared, yeah. a happy and prepared. Right, I guess holy is in there as yeah. well. Kind implied. of implied. Yeah, it's implied. And <laughs> if you're gonna have a happy, prepared death, you're gonna be. It's gonna be a holy, death. Gonna be a holy <laughs> death, right? And and then all of a sudden, it's like, what 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 is a happy? Like, who's the patron saint of, of a happy death? Saint Joseph. Why is that? Well, uh, he you know who better <laughs> in what better circumstances to die than have 
physically in your presence around you, Jesus, the high priest, giving you the last rites, and the Blessed Mother praying your way to heaven. Oh, man. What a way to go. I've seen this in sacred art. It's some of the most beautiful sacred art I think I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus on the one side and the Blessed Mother on the other. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go. (laughs) I mean, come on. That's the kind of death I want to have. I want yeah. to have a happy death. I want to provided have... for death. You know, I'm reminded yeah. of uh, so yesterday. Uh, well, yesterday as we're recording this, but last week as you're hearing this, uh, November 11th, Veterans Day in the American culture, but the uh, feast of Saint Martin of Tours in the Catholic world, and in the liturgy hours, the you know the prayer of the church uh, in the first hour of the day, the office of readings. The second reading comes from an account of his life, and it's all about him. It starts by saying he knew when he was that he was going to die soon, and still he was going to work himself to the very end because God is calling him to service. But the whole reading is about him preparing well for a happy death, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm really intrigued by how that passage ends. He he catches a glimpse of Satan standing nearby, and he calls him "you bloodthirsty brute" or something like this. And he said, "You shall not have me for a prey," and then he dies in peace. You know, <laughs> that's awesome. And, yeah, and uh, you know, the whole thing is him preparing for death. Like he was surrounded by his his uh, brethren in his in the monastery where he chose to die, and and he was surrounded by prayers, and he was he wanted to lie on on his back so he could look up to heaven, so his soul knows where to go when the time comes. I mean, all these things he was preparing for that final journey. Nice. And uh, that's how I hope to go too. Okay, so here's a great uh, here's a great story um, about a priest. And uh, I want to hear if you have any stories like this. Um, you talk about that happy and, and prepared death. You said are provided for death. Okay, here's my priest story. When I um, left the seminary, I first worked for a parish. And one day this priest came back into the rectory. I, I think I was having lunch or something. And he was just like, like he had this like, like, wow, almost like kind of overwhelming look on his face. And it's just like, I just got to tell somebody what just happened. And I'm like, okay, let's go. And he said, well, I went to the hospital and I was making my rounds, giving out communion. And I, I got in the car and I left and I was driving away from the hospital. And something inside of me said, go back to the hospital. And I'm like, what? And I just kept driving. And there was this like prompting on the inside that said, go back to the hospital. Now, you have to know this priest. This priest wasn't like the charismatic, open to the spirit, like, I'm always saying, Lord, what do you want from me? Where do you want me to go? No, no, not like that. But he said there was something impelling him to turn the car around and go back to the hospital. He went back to the hospital, and this nurse, uh, when he got there, this person caught and said, oh, thank goodness you're here. There is a Catholic patient who is close to death. And so he went in and he anointed the patient. The patient died like right there. And then he was there and he called the the daughter to say, uh, your father has died. And um, the daughter said, father, did you anoint him? And he said, I was there to anoint him. And she said, oh, thank goodness. She said, he had done the nine first Fridays. He had done the nine first Fridays. He was he was not conscious, and uh, and so the nine first Fridays is a, a devotion to the Sacred Heart. And one of the promises of those who complete the nine first Fridays is that you will not die an unprovided for death. Mm-hmm. You will die with the sacraments. And I'm like chills, yeah, chills. And that's why he was shook yeah. when he came back in. It was like, whoa, like the the heart of Jesus was so manifest in that moment to him that the living God was looking out for and was going to fulfill the promise to give that man a provided for death. Yeah. Isn't that cool? That is, yeah. I got a, I got a story that, that reminds me of, but um, um, first I was going to you know, respond to that. You know, you know, kudos on that priest for responding to that prompting. You know, I, I would hope to God that I would have that same... Um, that same um, docility of the spirit to go back and do it. And I tend to keep a very busy day because I can't stand being bored. So I will pack it in. And, but that's sometimes to my detriment where I'm, uh, you know, well, I feel the problem, but no, I got to keep going. I got this thing going on. Holy here. Spirit, you got, you're on hold. Holy yeah, Spirit. Yeah, I got I a meeting. I got I a, I'm sorry. I got a meeting right now. You can't kind of bump, 
barge in on that. I can't right? make room for the Holy Spirit, and so, um, um, so I'm, um, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd be trapped in my own, you know, in, in the in the in the jail of my own making. But hopefully, I would have that same re- uh, response. And and um, and thanks be to God, that priest did too. So um, anyway, that was kind of a response to that. And um, I do have the story to, that I'll share. Yeah, yeah, you'll share it. And, and Father, seeing now you've got the full disclosure here as we're recording this program, you see. That we're up against a break here. So I'm with Father Jeff Lewis, the pastor at St. Mary's in Spokane Valley. This is Tom Curran. Father Nagel has abandoned us, uh, you know. Abandon hope, all you he, all ye who enter into this program. So, okay, there you go. Little inferno reference. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis. And we're talking about the four last things. I don't think we're going to get through all four, Father. Uh, the pacing, <laughs> The pacing of things. I think we're going to be stuck in death. Maybe judgment. I think that's probably all we're going to get to today. So, oh. folks, if you want to hear about death and judgment, welcome to the program. Uh, and But you know what? You can even talk about death in really cool ways, yeah. right? And so what a great, great, great story about that priest who yeah. followed the prompting and that dear soul was able to, even though unconscious, was able to die um, with the grace of the sacraments, the anointing of the sick. What a beautiful blessing that the priest was open to that. Now, you said you have a story. Yeah, it's also a First Friday story. So uh, prior to being pastor here in Spokane Valley, my first assignment as pastor was up in a uh, small cluster of, some, uh, uh, of small towns up north, the main of which is uh, Chuila. Um, in Stevens County, and north of that, the next big, the next town is um, is Colville, which is its own pastoral cluster in our diocese. And while I was in Chuila, um, the pastor in Colville was changing from one pastor to the next, and the new pastor was coming with him, a parochial vicar. So one priest was going out, two were coming in, and um, and so the outgoing pastor was taking him around to kind of see the lay of the land and and check out the other parishes, and they were going up north. Uh, way up north to a town, a very small town, maybe like 20 miles from the Canadian border called Northport. And we have a parish up there. It's called Pure Heart of Mary. And uh, one of the longtime parishioners up there uh, was in the process of dying. I can't remember what age she was, but maybe in her 90s. Very faithful to the First Friday devotion. And um, and they got the call that she is in the last stages and, and barely conscious. So all three of them went to her house and all three of them were there for her anointing. So she got triple the priests and kind of triple the prayers and blessings. And, and, um, I think this, you know, the story goes the next day or the day after she died, but her first Friday devotion, you know, kind of earned her as it were three priests to be there to pray with her in the last hours of her death. And she received the anointing and Holy Eucharist and all that. So this, this whole theme, I love that story. And it's, um, uh, here's a principle that I've heard someone say, and I found it to be so true I, I, I love it. I want you to reflect on it. Is as we approach death, the veil that separates heaven and earth thins. There's a thinning of the veil that separates heaven and earth as we approach the moment of death. Would you agree with that? Well, I haven't experienced for myself, obviously, but I, I hope that's true. I I have read a um, a book by uh, Father Robert Spitzer. Um, one of his in the quartet series, which I think we've com- commented on before in this program, and and uh, one of those books in that quartet, uh, he gets into um, rec- you know the the accounts of near death experiences, mm-hmm. and and all of the folks that apparently have been interviewed in his review of the of the reports have ex- have reported something like this, where veils kind of lifted, and then they see the the brilliant heavenly light that cannot be matched by anything on earth. And it's not blinding them, and it's not hurting them. It's receiving them. There's a warmth to it, and um, and and then it's like the veil returns when they're brought back here. And and um, I can imagine someone like, "What have you done? I was so close, and you brought me back." As Al Pacino says in Godfather Part Three, just when I thought I was out, they bring me back in. <laughs> <laughs> of course, I thought immediately of that reference as well. <laughs> yeah, no, not exactly. So, um, so. When I think about that, I, re- I think of my grandmother. So my dad's mom was a shaker. You know what a shaker is? A shaker is a kind of Quaker. Okay. But what um, distinguishes shakers from Quakers is guess what? They shake. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So kind of you've heard of holy rollers. Okay. Do you know what that reference is? Uh, they no, would fall to think... the ground and roll. Okay, okay. So Quakers, you sit in a room and it's quiet and you wait for the inspiration of the Spirit and then you speak. 
well, shakers, you sit quietly in the room and you wait for the inspiration of the spirit and it will manifest itself in shaking. So she was a shaker. And so um, she grew up in a, with a spirituality that was incredibly private. That was just her way. Now, my dad converted to the Catholic faith. And so towards the end of her life, very, very end of her life, she suffered from congestive heart failure. And um, she was in the ICU when Carrie and I were, had been married only a couple of years. And we were back in Boston before we had children visiting. Um, and it was at the end of the year. It was during Christmas. And so we were about to go back to, um, back to Seattle. And, um, and we said, before we go to the airport, let's go to the hospital one more time and just visit my grandmother, Grammy, as we called her. And so we went to the hospital and there in the ICU, there she was. And, um, we went to her and I just felt this prompting. Let's pray with her. And so I said to Grammy, Grammy would be okay to pray with you. And she said, yes, please. Which was a little surprising to me because she was so private Mm -hmm. in her spirituality and so I ended up, um, I ended up uh, like being close to her head on one side, kind of up close where her shoulder was. On the other side was my dad on her other shoulder. And then down at, at her feet were my mom and Carrie. And so we just kind of laid hands on her and I just prayed for her. I just prayed, Lord Jesus, just be close to my, my grandma as, as she's in this place and in this situation in life. Just let her know that you're here. That you comfort her, console her, be with her, Lord. Amen. And as I'm praying for her, all of a sudden, she was hooked up to all these different things. All of a sudden, she went, <gasps> and ding, 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 all these bells went off. And I'm like, and then she went, <sighs> and I'm like, did she just die? <laughs> like, wow. And she didn't. Okay. And she just went, <sighs> right? And, um, and so we finished our prayer, said goodbye, and left. Um, like three days later, I got a call from my dad saying that Grammy had died. And I'm like, Dad, you're, you're really kind of like very much at peace as you talk to me about this. And he said, well, yeah. He said, and I have to tell you why. He said, the next day after we had been with her and prayed with her, they had moved her out of the ICU into a normal room because she had improved so much. And he was surprised. And he went into her room and she was sitting up in the bed and she was smiling. And, and, he's, and he's like, um, uh, what, what's going on? And, and, she, and she was smiling and she said, well, I have to tell you what happened. And she said, when you prayed with me, I saw Jesus. He came to me and he let me know that he was coming to take me home in a couple of days. I'm getting ready to go home to meet the Lord, to be with the Lord. And he was just completely blown away mm-hmm. because he had, in her whole life, had never talked to my dad like that about Jesus, wow. the Lord. Wow. And she died the next day. Wow. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. So when I say like the veil that separates heaven and earth thins at death, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Right. And and, and you know it's um this actually brings up a, a theological, um, very rich theological uh, point that is often underappreciated, overlooked, not reflected on. But we're going to do it today. All right. And it's the theology of the moment of death. The theology of the moment of death and the idea that there is an awful lot at stake in that moment, the moment of death. So do you know what I'm talking about, Father? Or do you want me to keep going? I'll keep going. I'll, I, you know me. I'll keep going. But what am I talking about? This well, idea that— it comes that, immediately to mind about what's happening in that moment is the particular judgment, and all, all, uh, all bets are off at that point, so, <laughs> so to speak. You know. Well, what's this idea that when you face judgment— then there is no, oh, Lord, now that I see you, now that I know, now I'm going to repent, now I'm going to, like, just hold on a minute, Lord, before we continue, can I, like, go off to the side and go to confession, and then let me come back? No, that idea that says, once you get beyond the moment of death, you face judgment. And so the, the theological, like, richness around what's at stake in the final moment 
is everything. Everything. And, um, and, and I think at a popular level, like what do we hear about? At the popular level, we hear about at the final moment of my life, what happened? My life flashed before my eyes, yeah. right? And, and you stop and think about it and you're like, that actually makes great sense. Yeah. Is that... But they, at, say, they say in such a way as like, I'm going to be shown all the good things of my life and all the beautiful things. And that's, that's true. But I mean, the, the record of your life is, is open and everything is called to judgment kind of in that, in that instantaneous moment. You're going to see all the darkness and ugliness too. Yes. So I, when I think about like the importance of the, of the final moment in life is that I, I am so often praying I'm praying and really the the like the the prompting and the motivation and the fervor that I have around that comes from Our Lady of Fatima mm. who talks about these souls it showed that image of have, of hell right as this lake of fire just churning and all these souls like screaming in agony and what was it souls were falling towards hell like snowflakes yeah which is like you see a snowstorm and it's like that's a lot, a lot of, of souls yeah and and the and what was their question? Why? And mm-hmm. and her answer was, there is no one to pray for them yeah. and to do penance for them. And so I have this like passionate like concern to um, have to pray for people who are near to death but far from God. Mm-hmm. And and that has displaced a lot of my devotion that I've had for the souls in purgatory because mm. they're in, right? I mean, they're in it like, you know, they're, they're, but man, bef- it's before that moment, they made it through the moment of death. Yeah. They made it through judgment. They're, you're covered, all right? Yeah. I'll let somebody else take care of you. But the Our Lady of Fatima and her sense of there are souls that are like floating towards the lake of fire. And I'm like, oh my goodness, can I be part of a rescue squad? Mm-hmm. So to, to join in on her Immaculate Heart's passion for the souls that are near to death but far from God, for an intervention of mercy to rescue them mm-hmm. in that moment of death mm-hmm. with salvation. Yeah. So uh, I think that phrase, near to death but far from God, was a phrase that I never heard before until we did one of our programs here. One, This might have been a couple months ago, but that stuck with me so much so that— um, this would have been toward the beginning of the summer. Now I'm thinking about it because at the beginning of the summer, with one of my uh, one of our seminarians who spent his summer with me, uh, the first part of the summer, we we pr- kind of prayed over that, and then we we designed a uh, a prayer card. In the front of it, I can't remember the name of the artist, but it's it's um it's a rendition of like the Pieta, not the Michelangelo one, but Mary is holding her dead son in her arms. And the prayer we composed on the backside was a way of offering up this this instance of suffering that I'm experiencing right now, physical or emotional or or mental or whatever. I'm I'm offering that up for that soul who in this moment needs it the most, who who is uh, dying in a state of mortal sin, near to death but far from you. I can't remember the exact wording of it. That's why I wrote it down, so I don't have to remember. <laughs> but um, I made these into holy cards, and we got them available in our church. And Because we're experiencing all kinds of sufferings all the time, if nothing else, a minor inconvenience. And so we can offer these minor sufferings for that soul who's experiencing or potentially going to experience the worst suffering ever, the thought of being judged and sent to hell. And we need to offer up those little sufferings. So I've, I've the same way wanted to be more intentional with how to pray for sinners. Well, and think about it, right? So a soul that is trapped in mortal sin is for me like Lazarus in the grave, dead three days, right? He's locked in the tomb and there's no getting out. Like it, when, you're in, when you're in mortal sin, you do not have the ability to move towards God. You need mercy. And so the image that I hold on to is that our prayers and penance on behalf of souls that are near to death and far from God is responding at the scene when Jesus says, roll away the stone. Mm -hmm. That when we pray for these sinners that are near to death but far from God, they're going to die during this program. There are people that are going to die. And some of these souls, we hope not, but there's a chance that there's some souls that are going to die 
during this program that are near to death but far from God, trapped in mortal sin. They're like Lazarus in the tomb. And what is the Lord saying? I need souls who will hear and respond to my request, roll away the stone. And so uh, it's the image I've given to my kids. Look, when we pray a rosary and we call upon that, the intention of our blessed mother at Fatima to pray for poor sinners who are near to death but far from God, we're rolling away the stone. Because when we roll away the stone, guess what happens next? Jesus says, Lazarus, Lazarus come out. Come out. And that's the only thing that can get Lazarus to come out hmm. is a word of command, a word of authority from Jesus to bring someone from death to life. And he then comes out because of that word. And I'm like, can you imagine? That can be the effect you can have on life. Imagine when you get to heaven. Who's going to be like super happy to see you? The guy you saved with your prayers earlier Oh my on. Yeah. gosh. To yeah. think like, who gets to do that, right? Yeah. Only priests get to do that. Is that right? <laughs> priests and nuns maybe only, <laughs> right? I mean, brothers and sisters, like you want to impact, like you want to have a big impact on this world. Like you want to have a big impact, like really make a difference right now in the world. Pray for a poor soul that is near to death but far from God and just offer up that suffering. Yeah. Offer up your trial, your tribulation, your anxiety, your struggles, the, the, the suffering, the actual suffering that you're doing right now and say, Lord Jesus, please receive this suffering as my attempt to respond to your command to roll away the stone. Please roll away the stone from some soul that is near to death trapped in mortal sin and far from God. And please, I beg you, intervene with what you intend for that soul, namely salvation and life with God forever in heaven. I'm in, I'm in, please roll away the stone. I offer my suffering and save that poor sinner. Like, what a great way to live life. Yeah. You know, and yeah. that's available to everybody and anybody listening today. All right, we're up against a break. When we come back, more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carnan with Father Jeff Lewis, and we just were reflecting on this idea of praying for poor sinners that are near to death but far from God. You know what? It has an impact. Like uh, my son, John Mark, right? So um, sometimes at the beginning of a rosary, I will say, all right, who else has an intention? Thinking that um, I'm principally thinking of, oh, so-and-so, my friend at school has, uh, you know, someone like this. Well, John Mark, every time, every time, Sinners that are near to death but far from God. It's like in him. Yeah. It has been like driven into his heart that we can make a difference in someone's eternity. I mean, like you can't even wrap your mind around that. What, what are your thoughts? I think that's, you know, that is, that's pretty awesome. And I, I was thinking like the idea of, um, it calls to mind, the conjures to mind this idea of, um, you know, the battlefield, the battlefield for our salvation. And, um, in particular, I'm thinking of a film called Hacksaw Ridge, where the the main character is like this conscientious objector, but still is in the army, and I think he becomes some kind of like um, um, hospital aide or something like that. But anyway, the soldiers at um, where they where were they fighting Okinawa, Okinawa, I think, and the soldiers were being overwhelmed, so they had to come back down the cliff, and he single handedly would go up and find a way, find a guy still alive who's been wounded, and find a way to rig him to a rope pulley system and lower him down, and who knows that, you know, those guys may die in the operating table an hour later, but who knows that some of those guys who had survived, they go on to do great things, and they'll always tell the story about about, um, about that guy who saved me. And so you talk about changing the world. That's one, one step removed from the person who changed the world in, in medicine or in science or, or in music or whatever, because why? They were saved by this guy who gave it his all to, to do that for them. Mm-hmm. And we can do that. Each of us can do that spiritually, as you say, by offering up prayers for that soul who's dying in a state of sin, near to death but far from God. And, um, and then we are you know, received with, with, um, with great, um, hopefully, please God, we're received in heaven with, with great joy and celebration of all these folks that we've had some, some measure of contribution to, to their final moment of conversion and salvation. Yeah, I think of it. It's a wonderful life, right? Um, and uh, George, George Bailey at the very end, right? And what's the message from Clarence? Like, you really did live a wonderful life, George, right? Yeah. And it was not realizing like all the good that you actually accomplished by doing that. And I, I just, my final word of encouragement for this is I know lots of folks might be listening to the program thinking, you know what? I'm never going to have a chance to, to give a talk in public or to have a role of like visible leadership influence or, you know, whatever. But 
you can impact a soul's eternity. Mm-hmm. And not just that, but like just that whole idea, if you touch one person's life deeply, you're touching a whole family tree, mm-hmm. right? Every single one of you, my dear sweet brothers and sisters in faith, in Christ, like pray that rosary, join in with the intention of the Immaculate Heart, just reveal the Fatima beautifully, and like let it move you to do that. Um, so uh, back to that moment of death thing. I think that um, uh, I, I'm going to kind of slide us over just a little bit around realizing what's at stake in the moment of death. It's like among all the things that I consider to be one of the the real uh, trials in this moment, a tri- in the COVID moment, mm-hmm. is the isolation of those that are near to death from family members and from sacramental ministry. Mm-hmm. That I consider one of the greatest triumphs of Satan yeah. in this moment is the severing of souls, poor souls who are deathly ill mm-hmm. on their deathbed from the consolation, the love, the warmth, and the faith that family members can bring when when these people, I'm sure, are confused, disoriented, afraid, barely conscious, and to be severed from sacramental ministry, the anointing of the sick, um, the, the viaticum, right? Just that is for me one of the most heinous darknesses of this time. Yeah, I totally agree. In fact, you know, at the risk of sounding like, you know, I have a, a major grievance against uh, hospitals and nursing homes and places of, like that, but it's one of the, I, I think it's one of the gravest injustices of institutions like that, that, that deny access in these po- point uh, in these moments of need for these folks. You know, this is a, this is a fundamental right guaranteed in our bill of rights here in the United States, the free exercise of religion, these institutions, not letting in uh, clergy, you know, of any stripe, I guess, but, but you know, to come in and, and at least offer prayers with the person in company with that person, and to deny spouses to have one last moment with someone dying or anything like this, I th- I think it's an all for what to to help slow down the spread of COVID, which is spreading anyway. <laughs> it just it just uh, it just frustrates me. You know, now in my personal experience, going to our hospital here in the Valley Valley General or any of the um, uh, nursing homes in our in our parish. When, when there has been a need for someone who is dying or at the risk of dying for the sacraments, I have not been denied access to those folks. Uh, so I can't speak from personal experience of the frustration that maybe others have experienced. I, but I have heard these uh, anecdotes and things. And it, you're right. It's a, it's a, it's a, Satan is, is laughing at this and sneering at this. But, but even then, I mean, we're trying to do what we can, and, and God is not confined to the sacraments, and uh, but though we are, and so hopefully there's some other mechanism of mercy that has uh, reached these folks, though the sacraments could not, and we can hopefully hitch our hopes to that. Yeah, well, that's it's encouraging to hear that you've been able to exercise like full sacramental ministry in your area, which is beautiful. Um, you've, I've just heard too many stories. I'm sure you have yeah. as well, where that's just not the case. Not the case yeah. And, um, I actually, you, I think you told, I think it was on the air, like way back. I was like over a year ago where Bishop Daly was like, not in my diocese. Right. <laughs> and it was, he walked into the hospital and it's like, no, I'm going to anoint this person. And you might as well just get out of the way now. Yeah. Right. He was escorted off the hospital premises by security and <laughs> he comes and that was our own Catholic hospital. Must not have known who he was, but uh, I still laugh at that story because you know God and God's mercy wins in the end. But Bishop was not having it, uh, and I love that. And that's what we need, right? We need strong leader leadership from our bishops and our priests to say, "Look, you might think that what you're doing is important regarding life here on Earth. Well, guess what? Life here will end." For all of us and all those people that you think you're saving through uh, from death or in death uh, and COVID, everyone here that we're looking at, everybody here will die. So you might as well die well. You might as well die in a happy, prepared way Mm -hmm. um, rather than than in in a way that says we're going to somehow so isolate this person that you might think that you're actually doing some good. um, And, you know, in certain circumstances, yeah, okay, there's some goods that are done there, but not not at the risk of this person's eternal good, right. right? One person going to hell to save other people's lives here on earth, 
I'm not sure that that weighs out too well in the balance. Yeah. I think that person in hell would probably say, I disagree. Yeah. So, okay. um, and, and obviously it's, it's not that simple, but it, just to be able to characterize what's at stake yeah. in that moment of death, we want to get that one right. We don't want to get that one wrong. So, uh, what I two other little points on this. I don't think we're going to get to judgment at this rate. Oh, so. well, it was a, wor- <laughs> it was a noble effort. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, we still got some time. We still got some time. We've got we've got a whole other segment in this one. We've got a couple of minutes left. Is um, um, it, how I teach my kids about death is to say, look, death is a door, and and on the other side of the door is Christ. And I said, here's how you can pull the sting. Here's how you pull the sting, and it's Jesus. Jesus, he rose from the dead, right? He had, we have all these signs, all of these evidences, all of these proofs, all of this beautiful reality that Jesus went through death and overcame it. And I said, he went through not only his death, he went through your death. So if you want to know what happens when you die, look at him and what happened when he died. He went through death to resurrection, not for himself. He wasn't showing off. He went through your death. And we know that because of baptism. Mm -hmm. What is baptism? Baptism is plunging your life into his life. Oh, but wait a minute. Into his death and his resurrection to new life. And the way that you can know that is because his spirit lives within you. And you can even glimpse now, you can taste now, you can experience now a bit of heavenly life in your earthly life. And that's what gives you, guess what? Faith and hope and love. You begin to share now in that reality that is going to be fully yours, but there's only one way to get there, Mm -hmm. through death. So that's, so that's how we like have taught our kids. Yeah. Like I, like they, I don't know how many times they've heard from me and growing up, I can't wait to die. I can't wait to die. I, kids, I am not afraid to, and like, dad, don't die soon. Okay. We want you. Carrie's like, don't you dare die on me right now. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, there's a difference between saying I'm not afraid to die and I can't wait to die. And I, I want to, to die and leave you behind. It's yeah. not about that. It's that I just want you guys to know that the standpoint of faith as a Catholic Christian disciple of Jesus is, it's one of, I'm headed towards a victory, not a defeat. All right, back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran, and I am with Father Jeff Lewis, and we're talking about death as, as related to Jesus, right? Yeah. Doesn't that sound pretty good? Yeah. Right? God, I, I, I was going on and on there, and you were like, you were jumping up and down. So now I'm going to let you talk. I knew we were up against a break, so that's why I didn't stop talking. Yeah. So now's your chance, Father. All right. Yeah. And um, anyway, yeah, through through the death of Christ, we have we have new life, and as you were saying, and, and the bat- baptism is the beginning of that. And and um, and again, emphasizing that that death is part of the journey. And um, and I've used this analogy um, a couple of times in homilies. You know. What is the difference between our life here on earth and life hereafter and passing through death? It's probably on the same magnitude or more of life in the womb and then life after the womb. And imagine a a baby in the womb thinking to himself or herself like, man, this is great. I'm warm. I'm safe. I'm fed when I need it and all the rest. And and is there life after birth? I I don't know. And frankly, I don't care. I don't care to know. And uh, and then the trauma of being born, uh, you know, was like akin to the trauma of being born again, uh, being born into eternal life uh, through the passageway of death. And so, and then we're out here like, man, alive. I can't imagine that I wanted to stay in the womb. You know, this is so much better out here. There's more space. I can breathe. You know, there's all this other stuff. And, um, and so, you know, it's absurd for us to think, oh, a baby never wanting to leave the womb. And, and being so afraid of what comes after birth. And I think on the same parallel, you know, we are so afraid of what happens after death, but it's much the same thing, I suspect. Is, and C.S. Lewis and other writers have written, like, the, the, the reality of reality after 
death in the life of the world to come is just so much fuller and more substantial. Read The Great Divorce if you want to find out how he describes that in, an, in a very imaginative way. And uh, anyway, so we're just shadows here, and yet this is more substantial than life in the womb when we didn't even know what the outside world is like. Now we are here. This is uh, more substantial than that, but this is just a shadow of what comes after, which is even more fully alive and full of reality. So we got to we got to like change our try to keep changing our mindset that death yes okay maybe still scary there's a sting I know if if I'm gonna give give blood you know that's fine that's for a good reason I'm still afraid of that sting of the needle so um, but to to realize and to have hope that that it doesn't have the final say this is part of the journey as well I, I love that analogy it's a powerful one I love it I love it I love it. And it's so fitting. Uh, you mentioned near-death experiences earlier. So I had a neighbor who exper- had a near-death experience at a Catholic hospital, where he had a bad reaction to um, the like the the um, anesthesia, and um, and they kept him alive for like two hours, like um, keeping his heart going hmm. for two hours, wow. and he um, ended up um, coming back. And he tells the story of when he died at that moment, he went through the pearly gates to heaven and he saw Jesus and he was with the Lord and he saw family members that had departed. And he he goes on and on and telling this story um, and all these different things. And now he spends his whole life just going around telling the story of heaven. And, um, and, And the thing was, he didn't want to. He didn't want to come back. Yep. It was like, he said, Jesus said, go back. And he said, no, no, <laughs> I want to, this is, this is reality, yeah. right? And three times. And the third one, it was a command, go back. You're like, you have no choice. And so he went back and he had to be with his wife and his kids, right? Oh, what a drag. Oh, what a terrible, horrible <laughs> thing. And, um, and so uh, Dean is his name. And he, he said that one of the things that is so like, um, so real for him is that the most beautiful sunset and display of flowers in a garden is so dull. Yeah. It is so flat. He said, you think you know what colors are. You think you know what, like something beautiful. He says, this is so dull compared to the vitality and the vibrancy of of life of creation of things he said oh my and so so that very point mm-hmm. is that when you have testimonies of those that have tasted heaven and then come back because you can't even taste the fullness of heaven if you do you're dead yeah. you're, you're gone you're, you're already over but for the fact that he was able to taste what he could and come back was amazing enough for him to say i can't wait to die i I get to go finally go home how long lord i'm in exile here Mm -hmm. i'm in a veil of tears Mm -hmm. i'm in exile here so that's a way to look at life yeah now i'm not suggesting we do what certain monasteries cloistered monks did what did they do they built what did they sleep in their coffins which they built (laughs) right so here you go go to the wood shop make a coffin and then make that your bed and there's your bed (laughs) and and um or the have the skull on the table right what was that called the memento mori the remembrance of death right remember death um those are things that um were devotional aids to help us recognize the shortness of life and that this is a veil of tears. Yeah. This is not home. As beautiful as it is, as rich and glorious as it is, and the taste we get of heaven as it is, all these things are good. They're, and really, the reality of home, that's the hardest thing for me, is the, the reality of home. That is where, guess what? You really get to be yourself. Yeah. You don't have to be on. You don't have to perform. No, uh-huh. You just, you just ah, you're accepted, loved, celebrated, and in all that richness of the union of, of what happens at home, home is what you long for the most and it's what you want to put the stakes in the ground and say stay here Mm -hmm. and so it's hard to let go of that Mm -hmm. well in his mercy what does god do he starts ripping that reality from our lives Mm -hmm. family members leave us and go home they go to our true home and so um those that have lived longest in lives of faith and have seen most of their friends die mm-hmm. or 
leave this world in a state of grace or with faith, what did they end up saying? I remember my father-in-law. Um, he was 85 years old, and his biggest complaint in life was what? Why am I still here? Why am I still here? Why won't God take me home? Yeah. I can remember him. He was complaining, like, God, why do you have me stay here? I mean, you know, and it was like, you got 12 kids and like 45 grandkids. Like, what is your issue? <laughs> yeah. And the issue was most of his family members, most of those that he lived life with, yeah. they the, were already gone. those friends, and they had gone home. Yeah. And guess what? When you're 85 years old, things start breaking down. Yep. And so life isn't that fun anymore. So it's like, Lord, what do you have for me to do while I'm here? I just want to go home. Mm-hmm. And so um, he had a... Um, a really like supernatural death, like yeah. God's grace was around. It's worth a whole program. I don't have time for it today, but um, to pray for that happy prepared death. So, yeah. so I say to my kids, okay, mm-hmm. oh, you want to talk? Well, I was going to say uh, when I was uh, again when I was pastor up in Chuila, one of the, the the last of the German Dominican sisters who came to this country and they settled. Uh, a, a group of them settled in Kettle Falls, and and uh, they're the Dominican order that started Holy Family Hospital and the hospitals up north. And and uh, um, anyway, big important order for the growth of our diocese. Um, the last of those Germans, um, Mother uh, Sister Alberta Net, I think she was their mother for a while, their Reverend Mother, but uh, she was still alive. And she was when I first met her, like ninety two or ninety three. And every time I saw her, she was living in her own room at the nursing home there at the, in Chuila. Um, she said, Father, I don't think she knew who, who I was, but that I was a priest was good enough for her. Father, just pray that the Lord take me home. And that was her prayer for like next three years. And then when she died, and when she died, it was a happy, prepared death. And when she died, um, the significance of that passing of an era, the legacy that she left behind and her fellow German sisters, um, the funeral was small. There were only about 25 people there, but there were seven priests and two bishops at her funeral. And wow. uh, to to honor her, to honor the legacy that she represented, and and um, and you know the funeral that was prayed for her contributed to her, I think her happy and well prepared for death. And so I've experienced the same thing. Why am I still here, Father? Pray that God take me home. <laughs> I love it. Okay, so here's my final question. Because now that I've formed all this stuff in my kids, and I said, okay, kids, you get to now pick your death. <laughs> it's not like dying in your sleep, quick and painless. What have they designed as their ideal death? Okay. You want me to tell you what it is? Yeah. You get a laugh. It's they go to confession and they walk out of the confessional and someone has a gun and says to them, reject faith in Jesus Christ. And they say, I profess my faith in Jesus Christ. And they get shot and killed. So they get to die a martyr's death after just having been to confession. Yeah. And you know what that means? Skip in purgatory, baby. That's right. Right Martyr there. For the faith. Yeah. <laughs> so they're like, that's what they've designed as their ideal death yeah. is dying as a martyr after having gone to confession. Yeah. It's prepared, baby. It's a prepared death where you get to be a witness to your faith. And it's like, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So a similar hope for myself is uh, I've just celebrated the mass for the people and um, myself presuming in a state of grace and, and, you know, and then maybe like there's a break in or something like that, but I too face a martyr's death having just celebrated the, the feast of the lamb and now welcomed home to the true feast of the lamb. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> really cool. Okay. I, all right, I'll, I'm going to end on this note. I, my death is, um, I actually, I don't quite pray for it, but I am open to a very long protracted suffering, um, spiritual, physical, personal, persecuted, whatever. For the sake of my family, um, I, I'm I'm open to that. I, I would. It's like I I want to be fruitful in my death for the salvation of others. So I kind of said I said that out loud. Uh oh. <laughs> All right. Happening. Thanks, Father. God bless you guys.